Hey, everyone. You're listening to the Modern People Leader Podcast. Today's episode is a part of our Work Expert series, where we talk to some of the top thought leaders out there about the future of work. Daniel, how's it going? I'm good. How are you feeling? You feeling How are you? good? Yeah. It's a couple, couple of days back now from, uh, from your big week in Cabo. Um, like 95% recovered. I feel a lot better. We'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll take that. We'll take that. So I'm excited about today's podcast. We've got a two for one situation today. And uh, we have the star conspiracy with us. Not only do we have Brett Starr, but we also have Steve Smith. And I'm absolutely stoked to be having this conversation with you guys today. How are you? How are y'all doing? Doing great. Pleasure to yeah. be here. Thanks for having yeah. us. Yeah, great. Thanks for inviting us. So we typically kick things off with good news stories. It's just a way it can be personal. It can be work-related. It's something recent and relevant, just a way of showing a little bit of gratitude for the, uh, the positive things that are going on in our lives. Who wants to start us off today with their good news story? Why don't you go, Steve? You want me to go, Brett? I'll sure, go. Sure, why not? Uh, so, uh, uh, past week or two. Yeah. Uh, I just actually just got back from a week out of the office and just spent spring break doing absolutely as little as possible. And I am very grateful that I have such a, a great team and great business partners like Brett that I can walk away for an entire week and I don't have, I don't have to worry about anything. And so that's a very good feeling after how long Brett, 15 years in business, something like that. 15 years. Yeah. Well, technically we're founded in 1999. So I guess it's like 23. Oh shit. Ooh. Yeah. But I, I haven't been there the whole time. On this? Can we cuss? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's the, what's the rating on this? It, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. So absolutely you can guess. And it's video, right? I mean, it's audio. Audio and audio video. And video. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I'm not going to take my shirt off then. Yeah. <laughs> well, do, do what feels right, Brett. You know, we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. <laughs> Well, uh, good news on my side. We are probably about 30 minutes away from getting our last form stamped by the Polish embassy in the United States to ship about $500,000 worth of body armor to Lviv. It could be there in as early as three days from now. Which That I'm is sure incredible. We'll talk a little bit about <laughs> I can explain that, but yeah, we're in the body armor shipping business. That is a new business line. So I definitely want to <laughs> dig into that later. Yeah, that is really interesting. And Incredible. So I guess piggybacking off of Steve's good news story, I was out of the office for a week and at Humu, we, you know, do like one or two webinars a quarter and the webinar just so happened to fall in a day that I was just getting back to the office. And on my side as a marketer, it's a pretty heavy lift for me. And it just felt so great that I was able to be out of the office for a week, come back and everything went smoothly without me being here. And um, I think it's just a testament to having great teammates that, uh, you know, will pick up your slack when you're out of the office and won't complain about it. They'll gladly do it. It was just an awesome feeling getting back into the office and thinking like, oh, wow, I thought I was going to be overwhelmed with work preparing to get this webinar out um, today, but that was not the case. So really great feeling. My good news, this is kind of hard because we, we, we just recorded another podcast. So typically I have like a week at least to, uh, to, to come up with a new good news story. But I, my good news today is we have officially and successfully transitioned um, our finance and accounting platform. And for all the entrepreneurs out there, I can, I'm sure you could... Uh, empathize or sympathize with, you know, the importance and the pain involved in, uh, in transitioning. And, and the reason we are transitioning is, um, because my co-founder, uh, who also ran another business, um, Dustin Wells, he ran he, a company called Headspring exited to Accenture. Um, and it was a great deal that worked out very well for Accenture, for Headspring, for Dustin, and because of that, we had to, to switch providers. And so today is officially the last day. So shout out and gratitude to Dustin and Kathy and JB and uh, the team over at Headspring that have done such a great job taking care of us throughout the years. So, so that's my good news. And VCFO, our new financial and accounting provider. So 
Well, I want to start with, you know, we, your, the career journey and, you know, Star Conspiracy. It's a little w- more wonky than normal because we're usually interviewing a single person. But obviously, if you know anything about HR tech, work tech, um, you know that Star Conspiracy is the shit. The, you guys are experts in what you do. You've done it for decades. And, uh, and so, you know, I'm really interested, Brett, in, you know, your career journey and just the background, you know, the highlights, of course, and what led to, you know, where you guys are today. Yeah, uh, thanks. You know, it's uh, really a, a short story. I grew up um, starting about five years old, and I really wanted to be in work tech. That's all I ever wanted. And, you know, I just drew a straight line there. And All <laughs> right. No, I grew up in Alice, Texas, which is a small town in uh, South Texas. And uh, I didn't actually think I was going to college, but um, I uh, wormed my way into a college like, you know, a few days before uh, the first day of school started. And uh, that was in Georgetown, Texas. And then I uh, moved to Austin and uh, was playing in bands, which meant I was waiting tables. And uh, I was hired by kind of a drunk CEO one day at about a four o'clock lunch uh, who had had way too many margaritas starting about noon. And uh, uh, he was running, a, this was during the, um, you know, 90s and, you know, pre-bubble, but pretty much getting there. And he was running a startup out of his uh, house across from the HEB. And uh, that's a grocery store. Uh, if anybody's listening to this, he doesn't know what HEB is. And he asked if I wanted to come and run marketing for his company. I was like, well, how many people are at your company? He's like, you'll be number three. I was like, well, sounds good to me. And uh, it was just one of those good luck stories where, um you know, flash forward a year and a half and I was managing like 20 marketing people and like 50 inside salespeople. And one of the software that we were selling, which we sold on discs that we mailed to people, I was really blowing up. And uh, yeah, so I, uh, you know, uh, that eventually that company was sold and I started doing one-year contracts. And my wife and I, uh, we were recently married and we said, hey, we've always lived in Texas. Why don't we, you know, take a contract somewhere else? So we're looking at like Boston and Chicago and San Francisco. And we just fell in love with Boston. So I took a contract there with a time and attendance company called Smart Time. And that was the first time I'd ever worked in work tech. So previous to that, I'd been in data transformation, extraction and loading. I'd been in lean manufacturing. I'd been in partner relationship management, uh, you know, very techy, uh, bubbly stuff in the 90s. Um, but I ended up at a time and attendance organization. And the first thing that I realized selling to HR people is that it was uh, everything that we were doing in tech marketing uh, at the time worked like 10 times better marketing to HR folks. And the reason I suspect back then was because they weren't really considered thought leaders inside organizations. And so when people were actually paying attention to them and marketing to them and giving them content and stuff like that, it was a very open audience. And uh, I would love to say that I immediately thought, wow, this is the best way to change the world. But I didn't actually come to that realization until the next company, which was also um, a a work tech company called Deploy Solutions, which is one of the first applicant tracking systems. And they sold to Kronos. Actually, SmartTime also sold to Kronos. And um, it was at that uh, moment when I really, you know, dug deep into the HR community and into the what we called HR software back then, which became human capital management uh, software, which now we call work tech because it's such a big category and includes so many different things that I really got a sense of what drove people who were sitting in HR chairs. And uh, most of the folks that I met really wanted to make people's lives better and they wanted to make their lives better at work. And so I got really personally attached to that notion. I wanted to be part of it. And uh, I would love again to say that I had a really clean transition from working at Deploy Solutions to starting an agency. But what actually happened is I started taking contracts on the side and then I had more work than I could handle. And then a bunch of other stuff happened. And then I wound up accidentally running an agency and uh, we sucked for a long time, a long time. And it wasn't until I met people like Steve Smith and brought in a friend of mine that I'd known for years, like Dan McCarron and started getting um, all these great folks like Ashley Bernard and uh, Aaron Swan and, you know, just a wonderful team around me that we really started to uh, take off. And uh, there's been no looking back since then. I love what I do. Um, I love being in work tech. I love working with HR people. I love working with tech people. And I love that um, as we reflect on the pandemic, that we really are in, you know, what I believe to be the most critical technology uh, sector in the world uh, because people need help right now. Uh, And they especially need help in this kind of mashup of, you know, work and, you know, uh, real life uh, and how they uh, are more intertwined than they've ever been before. 
And it just so happens that the people we've been working with since 1999 uh, are the uh, folks who um, can provide the help and the people that um, they sell to, the HR folks are the people who apply the help. And so I feel very fortunate to be in what I consider, um, you know, the most important um, solution segment in the world at a time when it's needed the most. Listening to your story, I'm like, am I like a mini Brett? Because <laughs> I'm, I'm 28 and, you know, the first job I took out of college was with Steven at Workify. And I thought, oh, HR tech, this is cool. But at the time I wasn't like, I want to double down on HR tech. It wasn't until I was working at Udacity and then the pandemic hits where I was like, oh, wow, there is something here. Everyone's looking to HR for answers right now. And this is something that we've never experienced. And yeah, decided to double down on HR tech. And uh, here we are today. We have a podcast where we talk to HR leaders. And another thing I wanted to ask you about, are you familiar with Falfurious, Texas? Fal, heard, awesome. of course so I'm familiar Both Stephen and I's dads <laughs> grew up in Fal. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I've spent yeah. a lot of time in Alice as well. We have yeah. a lot of cousins in Alice. So when we yeah. really wanted to get drunk, we'd go to Fal. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell to, my to dad eat it, that. To eat at the Waterburger. <laughs> yeah, we'd cruise the late down night. Main Street, Dairy Queen. Because, yeah. you know, like when you're cruising down Main Street in Alice, Texas, you're going to see the same people like every night for your entire life. So every now and then we'd hit Premon or Falfurious or, you know, Orange Grove or Robstown or something like that. And it was like the, you know, the, it was like West Side stories. Like we were not welcome in whatever town we went to. <laughs> <laughs> That's so awesome. You know, for those of you listening, like literally no one knows where Falfurious, Texas is, unless you, unless you're familiar with the butter, maybe like that would be the only connection, but I don't even think butter. that's made there anymore. Well, okay. you know, to, to, to just reinforce Daniel's point, we literally are here talking to you guys today because like Daniel, after he had that moment of Udacity, he, he, he reached out to me and was like, Steven, I have this idea. We need to launch this podcast. We got to start talking about this. Like, this is too important. This is like a once in a lifetime event, the pandemic, all these changes that are happening. And so, uh, so yeah, we feel and share your sentiment, Brett. Yeah. Absolutely. And what, what an interesting um, story, Daniel, because I think everybody gets plugged into the purpose of, you know, this um, uh, segment that we're in, um, in at different times in different ways. But, you know, as I reflect over the decades, you know, uh, when Steve and I started uh, in this uh, world, um, HR was clamoring for, quote, a seat at the table. And they really thought, we thought as a community that to get a seat at the table at the time, it was really about developing financial skills and becoming, you know, uh, adopting more of a shareholder perspective, you know, et cetera. And, you know, flash forward to year 2020 and um, HR instantly became the chief COVID officer and instantly became the chief employee experience officer, uh, absolutely have a seat at the table. And the deep irony for me, it was not because of all the business acumen or financial acumen or all that stuff, which a lot of, you know, folks in HR have, but it was because they got back to what was really important, which was taking care of people. And that's what, um, you know, gave them uh, finally, I think the undisputed uh, chair at the head of the table right now. So Steve, I'm going to pick on you a little bit as the chief marketing officer. I'm sure you have a really crisp response to my next question. And that is- not at all. If we were, you know, what's your party response, you know, that you give to people when they ask what the Star Conspiracy does? Um, usually I just tell them we're a marketing firm for technology companies. And 90% of the time, that's good enough. You know, that gets, <laughs> that gets you to pass the guacamole. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it's just like, we, I, I keep it simple. If people want to drill down on it, I'm more than happy to start talking about work tech. And I can talk about it uh, ad nauseum. So, um, so yeah, that's what I usually tell people. And so if you were to go a level deeper than that, tell us what is the magic that you guys do at, at the Star Conspiracy? You know, the, the magic that we bring at the Star Conspiracy really is our industry expertise. You know, like Brett was talking about, he was, you know, he's been in workplace technology since the 1990s. And, uh, you know, his profile fits the profile of a lot of people on our team. You know, I was um, starting to work in like essentially HR tech back uh, in 2001. So uh, I've, you know, got over 20 years in this space. We have a lot of people who they've either been practitioners, uh, recruiters, 
uh, HR people themselves, um, uh, work for uh, in sales and marketing at tech companies, uh, been in tech. And so we've got all of these people who have domain expertise. And that's really what our secret sauce is. It allows us to hit the ground running. The, uh, a, a client doesn't have to teach us what they do for a living for the first six months we're working together. We can get it and, and be off and running immediately. And so my last question for now, Steve, is why should Daniel and I be jealous that you get to work at the Star Conspiracy and we don't? Oh, you should be incredibly jealous. And then really it's because we have a great culture. We have uh, uh, this distributed team of uh, almost 100 employees now globally. Uh, you know, we started off, we were in Fort Worth, Texas, and now um, probably only about 20% of our employees are in Fort Worth. I'm based out of St. Louis. We have a lot of people on the West Coast and the East Coast in the U.S. We got employees in Canada, Chile, Europe. Uh, and we've got this incredible distributed team that works virtually, but we've been able to uh, not only maintain, but kind of grow this fantastic culture. It's because we're doing really interesting work. We bring together interesting people and smart people, people who are just intellectually curious and want to do great work. And then we just like throw them the keys, just give them plenty of autonomy and say, you're, you're here because you're great. You're smart. You can figure it out. We trust you go with God. And it's just, uh, it's a fantastic place to be. This is the best place I've ever worked in my entire life. Now, same here. And I would, I would say that when, you know, if you asked uh, a lot of other people who are looking at the star conspiracy, why it looks like a cool place to work, they're just going to focus on what they perceive as perks. And so we have a three-day weekend. We, that was something that was voted on by uh, all of the um, uh, people at the star conspiracy. It was passed by an overwhelming majority uh, so we work four days and we have a three day weekend and no, that does not mean we have, you know, uh, four 10 hour days or four 12 hour days. Uh, we really focused on trying to squeeze out all of the, you know, uh, waste in terms of, uh, unnecessary meetings or unnecessary, you know, management burden or process burden or administration burden. And so we've got a three day weekend. We've got, uh, unlimited paid time off. We have, um, you know, uh, two hours of quiet time where uh, folks are not allowed to have meetings um, uh, between themselves um, inside the organization or with clients. And that uh, time is uh, supposed to be un uninterrupted time for rest or for work or to, you know, disinfect your groceries uh, or, you know, what, whatever uh, uh, people need to do with that time. And so we've really focused a lot on the last two or three years around uh, creating a flexible work environment. But all the stuff that we had to do in the background to make that happen is like below the water and the tip of the iceberg is like, oh, you know, they have a, a three-day weekend and they have, you know, unlimited PTO. But in order to make those things happen and for them to be authentic, there's a lot of org design that goes into it that, you know, dates back to like Confucius. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's a pretty interesting place. It's a big experiment. That's awesome. I actually want to tell a quick anecdote. So going back to my experience working at Workify, so I can remember man, this must have been five, six years ago. I remember, Brett, you came and visited the Workify office. And this was back when Workify was within the Headspring office. And you took Steven and I into a conference room. All you asked for was a whiteboard. And for like 45 minutes straight, you just whiteboarded the entire HR tech landscape. And you, you know, had like bubbles with employee engagement, all of the different categories within HR tech. And how, you know, the companies that we're going to win, we're going to win. And I just remember being mind blown by this whole experience that Steven and I actually put together some marketing collateral based off of what you had shared after that meeting. So just wanted to give you guys some kudos. Y'all truly are the, the HR tech gurus. And, um, you know, I, I still get the, the newsletter that y'all send out. I don't know if it's once a week or once a month, but every time it hits my inbox, I at least take a glance at it. I'll, sometimes I'll scroll to the bottom to see who else has raised money in the past few weeks. Um, but I check it out. And I think, uh, you know, that's a hey. testament to how great of marketers you guys are in addition to being, you know, HR tech gurus. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Thank you. Very kind. Thank you. Steven, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say same. Yeah, I, I look forward to my the week, the Work Tech Weekly update and uh, and kind of dig in. In fact, we're going to we we plucked some of our favorite, you know, snippets from, you know, those updates that you guys give us in terms of the the topics that we want to cover today. So, cool. 
You guys yeah. ready to jump into that? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, well, I do want to uh, uh, give a shout out to Lance Hahn, who started another newsletter. Um, uh, Steve's newsletter, WorkTech Weekly, is uh, kind of an insider newsletter for people in the work tech industry. But Lance started one called uh, Work Leader Weekly, uh, and that's for uh, practitioners. Uh, and so that's uh, only been in, how long has that been in market, Steve? Uh, it's a couple of months now, but it's just going gangbusters. Um, yeah, crazy. It's growing really fast. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely want to learn more about that. So Steven and I, we do riff sessions every once in a while. So we'll do like, you know, three or four interviews where we bring on some really amazing guests. And then in between every once in a while, we'll have some fun. And one week, uh, it felt like there weren't any topics. Like there wasn't like a trending topic. And Steven was like, you know, what would be interesting to talk about. It'd be interesting to talk about the metaverse. And we both admitted that neither of us really knew much about the metaverse and then I think in that conversation, we even mentioned, oh, like, I think I saw something that, that, that the Star Conspiracy did, or they said, I think maybe y'all had purchased, you know, VR headsets for all of your employees. And um, yeah, so the, the question for, for you all, for the, the work tech guys, you know, are you guys all in on the metaverse for, for work? And if so, like, what does this look like? I mean, I, I honestly, we don't know much. So just help us out. What is, what is the metaverse going to look like for, for um, the workplace going forward? Well, Steve being the biggest fan of the metaverse. <laughs> now, Steve and I argue about the metaverse all the time. All the time. All the time. Perfect. So I would say, um, <clears throat> so just to, you know, kind of why, why did we get into the metaverse? Because we are very deep into the metaverse. And why did we get into it? Uh, we got into it selfishly. <clears throat> so when we went to a, um, a remote working environment, uh, which we did permanently, we're never going uh, back to, you know, having people full-time in the office, people can work anywhere they want for the rest of their lives. Um, everybody, like I was reading this article in uh, the New York times and like, um, early, you know, 2021. And, uh, the article was called out of office and it was based on a survey by morning consult in the New York times. They did together of about, you know, 1300 or 1400 remote workers, newly remote workers. And it asked them all kinds of questions about what their work experience was like. And all the data came back uh, with folks saying, oh, we love it. We prefer it. We don't want to come back to the office. We have more time to focus on the family, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I would consider, you know, moving to another city if I knew that I was going to be able to work remotely forever. And I looked at uh, that data and I was like, well, you know, I think that this is probably like a lot of uh, East Coast people and really big companies and it doesn't read like what I would think the star conspiracy would respond to it. So I went out and found the survey and you know, we kind of reverse engineered it and uh, we ran it to our own people. And that was in September of 2021. And what we found was that the sentiment that was uh, in that survey was actually much more significant inside our own company. People preferred working from home. They viewed it more positively uh, than they had prior uh, to the pandemic. They didn't want to come back to the office. They weren't, there wasn't a rush there. And really it was high marks across uh, the board, except for one thing, which is that people reported feeling disconnected from colleagues and they reported feeling a sense of uh, isolation um, and uh, loneliness. And so what took me into the metaverse initially, because I kind of did it on my own just to see like what it was about, because I messed around with virtual reality a few years prior and I had like this big cable coming out of the back of my head, like I was in the matrix and I had to nail all this stuff to the ceiling and I like kept tripping and, you know, I used it for about a week and then I gave it to Jonathan Goodman so he could give it to his kids. And so I was really skeptical and I bought one of those, what used to be called an Oculus um, Quest uh, 2. And for the first time it was a self-contained headset. So you don't have to have a computer. You just kind of turn it on, uh, plug it into Wi-Fi, not plug it in, but connect to Wi-Fi and you're ready to go. And so that was a real game changer because you have freedom of motion and you don't have to, you know, connect to a bunch of expensive equipment. You don't need monitors and all that stuff. And I immediately started uh, hammering on all of the work applications. So, you know, ways to collaborate in the metaverse, ways to just get together with folks, sit in conference rooms, write on a whiteboard. And uh, I thought, wow, this is pretty great. But the thing that uh, struck me immediately was when I pulled uh, our uh, chief operating officer, Dan McCarron, uh, in with me as test subject number two. And we started meeting together in the metaverse and instantly when we got together for the first time, it took about five minutes for the novelty of being in the metaverse to wear off. And we felt, we both felt a strong sense of social presence and human presence. Like we were actually in the room with each other. A lot of it has to do with like spatial audio. If the person moves to the left or the right, you kind of hear it based on the movement, but it, it just, it's immersive. You literally have blinders on, you don't, you're not looking at your phone. Uh, you know, you're not distracted by anything else. 
And uh, so we rolled it out to a, a team of about 10 people to test it for a couple of months. And then we eventually purchased a, a headset for everyone in the company. And we even have an inventory because we're bringing clients into the metaverse. We're running uh, things like analyst days, and PR days in the metaverse and stuff like that. And so, yeah, I would say I'm all in. And the reason that I'm all in uh, personally is because I do think that it fills a gap that Zoom can't fill, which is we're all trying to repair a sense of social presence and human presence and connectedness and breaking free of the sense of isolation. And I can say with confidence that the metaverse achieves that. And it had a pretty high uptake when we rolled it all out. So not only are we going to be using it for ourselves, but we're also going to be helping other teams and our clients' organizations start bringing people into the metaverse to solve the same problems. Are there apps out there already where oh you God. can go? Yeah. So many. So many. Okay. To where you can just, you know, download this app, throw in a headset and go meet your, you know, coworker in the metaverse. Yeah. Like, how does this work? Once you stop playing like The Walking Dead and, uh, you know, because it's like the greatest video game ever, um, there's a, you know, basically everyone has a platform. So the platform that we're kind of centralized on is the Meta platform, formerly Facebook. And their view of the metaverse is basically they've got three primary products. One is uh, called Horizon Home. The other is called Horizon Workrooms. And the third is called Horizon Worlds. So Horizon Workrooms is like a conference room uh, type environment. Horizon World is like building websites in the metaverse, except it's like you just build your own world and you can invite anyone you want there. I actually do a podcast from my uh, world in Horizon Worlds that is rendered in virtual reality. And uh, Horizon Home is like where you keep all your, you know, badass shoes and NFTs and stuff like that. So uh, in, in addition to the, um, uh, because Meta now owns Oculus, so they have the yeah. hardware or software connection. But in addition to that, they have an open platform with probably at this point, 70 or 80 uh, apps um, that you can use, including apps that we use all the time, like Miro and stuff like that. They're already, uh, you know, on the uh, app store and you can uh, work with them in a virtual reality setting or in, or in the metaverse. I feel like there's, there's so many applications for this. Like, I don't know, one thought, I feel like people are tired of attending webinars like they're great and all, but if there was some sort of, I don't even know what you would call it, but a similar experience where people could throw on their headsets and go into a virtual conference, I think that could be really cool. I don't know if there's companies already doing that. Um, if y'all have figured it out, let me know. Um, Cause I, I would love to test that out at Humu. Yeah. We'll send y'all a couple of headsets and we'll uh, uh, pop around a little bit, but uh, yeah, we can, we can do that right now. That's awesome. So I'm curious, Brett, you said earlier that you and Steve sit on, on opposite ends of this, this metaverse conversation. So Steve, and we, we've heard the early adopter proponent view, like what, what is your view of, of the metaverse? You know, I, I, I think it is going to be a part of the future of work. And, and I don't think that, that, that is really a matter of debate. My, my issue with kind of the current state of the metaverse is I just think that um, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg are an unreliable narrator. I think that um, they have shown a tendency to play fast and loose with ethics and rules. And um, it's all about them making a lot of money and they don't really care what the social impact of it is or the social good or bad that they're creating. And I think that they create a lot of social bad and I don't think that's okay. And I don't think that we should trust Facebook or Meta with um, our, our data. Because I mean, when you think about it, you're going to spend eight hours a day at work in the metaverse or some amount of time of your work day, your work week, your work life um, in that environment. You need to be able to trust the people who are creating the systems, creating the applications that they're, they're doing it ultimately for your benefit. If they're getting something out of it in return, that's okay, as long as that's transparent. But I think that we're very much at a tipping point of what are businesses going to be in the future and what kind of obligation do they have to create social good? This is something that we talk about very much. And I love playfully arguing with Brett about this point because you know, like we were getting all of these uh, write-ups in different publications, you know, major national publications when Brett kind of launched this initiative. We sent out these headsets 
And there was one reporter, I think it was from Ad Age or whatever, who listened to the podcast that we did about it. And it was like, on the one hand, there's Brett, who's this, this, <laughs> this cyber visionary. And then there's me, who's just like, and, and Mr. Smith doesn't even know how to log into Facebook. So I'm like a Luddite who's wearing a tinfoil hat and living in a refrigerator box with a pet raccoon in the backyard. And so I'm actually okay with that. But I think it's just that funny juxtaposition of, okay, so how can you not agree on this? And I think that we agree fundamentally on the, the vision. I think that it's, it's, you know, there's a bigger issue that Brett and I that also agree on is what is the power of purpose and social good inside of a business. I totally agree with that. Um, you know, I, I do think that, um, you know, Facebook in particular is not a force for social good. Yeah. And I really regret the fact that they've got the most awesome headset and the best platform, <laughs> but I do believe it's going to become more open and that, uh, just like everything else that they fuck up, uh, you know, Facebook will eventually be a laggard, but right now they've got like 70% market share. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're going to be in the metaverse, you, you're going to have to go through Facebook at some point. Yeah. It's, it's interesting in our data. We also see, um, this desire. So, you know, we, we track internally six factors that relate to employee engagement, employee experience, one of those is connection. And that is the, the lowest scoring factor in all of the da data that we, we collect for our clients, we analyze. And it's also continuing to be one of the most challenging aspects uh, for all the, the people leaders out there in terms of like figuring out how do we find healthy ways of connecting our people. Um, and so I can see how there's the, you know, there's remote work, uh, where that might be, you know, depending on where you are on that spectrum, um, is there's a material amount of work being done there, right? Then you have, you know, the in-person, in-office, collaborative innovation time that you're spending working together, um, in what I call the AR, the actual reality. And then there's a third component um, that would be, you know, this, the VR kind of metaverse, uh, where you're spending time doing work there. So it's going to be really interesting and cool to see how this all shakes out. Yeah, it will be. But, you know, I think the most important thing is that people just keep trying, um, different mm -hmm. things. I mean, you know, uh, Steve and I were uh, just in a meeting a couple of days ago where we had a million dollar remodel of our headquarters in Fort Worth on the table. And we uh, uh, squashed it because of what we know now. When we started uh, working on it, planning it and everything a year ago, a much uh, higher percentage of people lived in Fort Worth. We were trying to convert into more of like a social space where people could get together and hang out. Um, and, uh, you know, a bunch of people moved. We hired a bunch of people outside of Fort Worth and outside the country. And the more we looked at the cost versus how many people would be included in the good that it created, it just really started not to make sense. So that was one thing we tried and then we, you know, kind of backed off from it. We're trying the metaverse. And I think as long as people keep trying, you know, a lot of times just the novelty of trying something new can actually bring people together. Uh, but I don't think anybody's got the right answer. And I certainly don't think the metaverse is, you know, a good answer at scale, uh, but we just have to keep trying. It's interesting. My, my partner, she, her company went through a multi-million dollar like office upgrade. And I I'm guessing they had it planned before COVID happened. Then the pandemic hit. No one can come into the office. Like literally now they are trying, they're giving away free lunches or they're trying everything they can do to get people to go into the office and no one's biting. Well, yeah. <laughs> unless, like unless they're presenting to an executive or right. to, you know, they have like a big meeting, client meeting that they have to attend to. Well, it's like the CEO of Golden said, all of our employees going to be back in the office five days a week, starting Monday. Monday came around this week half the people didn't show up. Wow. So they're like, they were like, no, we're not coming back in the office, you know? So it's just like, there's still this, I think that most organizations are still of the mindset that, okay, this, this everything's changed for everything is not for real. It's going to go back to normal, to what we think is normal, basically where people are in the office, we can keep an eye on them. We don't trust them. We need to make sure that they're actually doing work. That's gone. But what's going to replace it is still very much in flux right now. That's yeah. crazy. As a former Goldman employee and no, and having drunk all the Kool-Aid 
um, to, to hear that, like, that is how much the balance of power has shifted to the employee. That is crazy. That is insane. Yeah. And I mean, we're benefiting from it in our own organization just with the, the fact that, hey, work from anywhere forever. You never have to come in an office ever if you don't want to, uh, you know, three day weekends every weekend, just all of these things. It's just like we're getting fantastically talented employees because they're like, you know what? We don't want to go back to an office. We, we want to live, work wherever we want to in the world. And we'll give you 100% if you give me the flexibility to live my life and do a great job at the same time. Yeah. And I, I just think there's a lot of people who are on the wrong side of history here. If you're like, this is why we squash the you know remodel, because if you're in the business of trying to entice people back in the office, uh, you're, you're solving a, uh, the wrong problem instead of like pursuing the opportunity. You know, people talk about the great resignation because, you know, all of us in, you know, the world of HR love a good catchphrase like the war for talent or the great resignation or seat at the table or, you know, whatever. You know, the great resignation for the star conspiracy has been we've lost two people in three years. One of them went to school and one went to find their dream job. And we have nearly 100 percent acceptance rate for every offer that we put out. So we're not experiencing any of that. And we have people who are sitting on offers from three or four companies uh, like Goldman, places like that, looking for something like what we offer. And so I'm putting, you know, this is not um, self-serving. If you put these two things together, um, you know, it's like uh, the, the, as Steve would say, the cow is out of the barn and it's not going back in. Uh, and people need to start kind of embracing what uh, the future looks like because Employee experience is the key to everything. You can't have a good customer experience. You can't have a good shareholder experience. You can't do anything for social good if you're not surrounded by great people. And yet the average turnover across all industries in 2021 was over 50%. And so how can anybody get anything done if they're a revolving door for talent? Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect segue to, to the next topic that I wanted to drill into. You know, you, we, we talked about your, your WorkTech weekly newsletter. And just to reiterate, if you are in the WorkTech space or you're just interested in the future of work, you absolutely need to subscri- subscribe to it. Um, but there was a post earlier this month, and it was titled Return of Employee Engagement. And of course, I thought you were targeting me to buy some services from you guys, because that would have been the perfect the perfect subject line. And you know, the gist of, of that newsletter was that companies took a hard left on employee experience during kind of the core pandemic period, last couple of years. And during that same period, there are companies like Gallup that are now telling us that engagement has dropped for the first time in the U.S. Or I don't know if that's U.S. or global, but yeah. you know, why is that, first of all? And then I guess maybe before we get there, you know, these are two really broad buckets, you know, employee experience and employee engagement. And so I'm just yeah. curious, like, how do you guys define those two buckets how can we wrap our head around, like, I have invested more energy in the employee experience, and yet I'm seeing less engagement from, from my people? Yeah, and I mean, that's an excellent question. I'll try to, you know, make it as succinct as possible, because we could talk for an hour just on that one question. But, you know, for the last, say, four, five, six years, you know, and we've had these conversations with you before, it's just like there's been sort of this artificial dichotomy set between like employee engagement and employee experience. It's just like, which one is it? Like they are mutually exclusive and one's a better descriptor than another. And, you know, you go back to like coming out of the great financial crisis in 2008, there was this whole explosion of, hey, we've got to focus on employee engagement because we're seeing people become less and less productive coming out of that. And so it's just like there was, you know, all of this um, um, focus on that component But then, you know, you get into kind of like the mid, you know, like 2015, 2016, there was a lot more conversation about, well, what is like the the digital employee experience that people are having? You've got all of these applications. Most of them aren't very good when you compare what's the technology I'm using in my workplace versus the technology I have like on my phone, you know? It's just like consumer technology was was far outpacing, you know, enterprise technology. And so there was this, this conversation about, okay, so it, it, what's more important? Is engagement more important or is experience more important? And then, you know, the, the, the pandemic hit and what we saw was um, that basically enterprises everywhere were not prepared for the shift that they experienced. So you saw things like, you know, I forgot what, which company it was, but like a 50,000 employee global company went live on Microsoft Teams in five days. 
you know, and you saw a lot of stories like that companies standing up Zoom and, and really preparing for that new reality. And there was sort of a, 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 you know, with COOs and CIOs and CHROs everywhere, there was sort of like a reality check of like, wow, our people tech stack is not what we need for the future. We need to go back and reevaluate, reevaluate everything. And so all of a sudden there was like, aha, it's employee experience. We've got to create a better employee, digital employee experience for our people. And so there was this kind of idea that, oh, well, you know, so, okay, employee experience won. But then, you know, you referenced that report from Gallup, you know, you saw in 2020, employee engagement hit like all-time highs. Um, but by the time you get to the end of 2021, after almost two years of the pandemic, you know, they, uh, employee engagement hit a low that I don't think has been seen in the post-World War II era. And so, it, something was going on there. And I think that what, what the reality is, is some of the things that we were talking about with Brett was the fact that, you know, the what the employee wanted and what the business wanted were two very, very different things. Brett, you want to say something? Yeah. I, you know, I was just clearing my throat because I actually need to clear my throat. Not I was <clears> throat> okay, go ahead. <clears throat> um, uh, yeah, I think to me, uh, you know, uh, employee experience is a thing and employee engagement are a thing. They're two different things. You can have a great employee experience and not be engaged in your work. You can be very engaged in your work uh, and not uh, have a great employee experience. And for me, the difference um, really comes down to purpose. If you're a purpose-driven organization um, and you've invested uh, your people with a sense of purpose, uh, then they can have both a great employee experience and also be very engaged in the work. Uh, but if, uh, you know, you've got a great employee experience, but people are engaged with the work, it's probably because they don't see the purpose of their work, especially against a backdrop of, you know, two years of a pandemic where everyone's priorities were brought into question. And so, uh, you know, I, I distinguish between, you know, when I look at, um, you know, employee experience, I look at subdomains under employee experience uh, that are very similar to the subdomains under customer experience. You know, in, in customer experience, you have brand experience, marketing experience, sales, product, customer success. In employee experience, I look at it as employer brand. I look at it as candidate experience. Um, and then I look at, you know, like the sales experiences, you know, kind of uh, going through, uh, you know, all of the candidate stuff, right? And then when you get into like the corollary to product experience and CX, the correlation in EX is work experience. But there's this other category in my mind that is like customer success, which is employee success. So work experience is different than employee success. And I think a lot of things that we call experience or that are meant to support uh, people really fall under employee success. And that engagement part, I think, is much more relevant to the work experience itself, where, you know, you ask the question, are people actually engaged in the work that they're doing, which is a little bit different than experience, which I think is more of uh, an employee success component. Yeah, I, I completely see that. And I think that I, I agree there are separate things. And I like the way that you phrase that, that you can be you can be positive in one negative in the other. And, uh, and so I think, you know, that this is still, I think companies have overplayed the, the, the EX side and, uh, and, you know, have now underinvested in the engagement side. And I don't know how, what the right formula is to, to, to get that balance back, but, you know, part of it is, I think, you know, I do agree in purpose. And I think a lot of companies, and we've talked a lot of, you know, with the guests that we've had on the show around examining your purpose, your values, you know, all of those things have been impacted by the pandemic, but uh, you haven't seen a lot of change. Some companies have, obviously there are companies that got way ahead and leaned in and really use this as an opportunity to re-examine everything. But I personally view that that's still the minority of the companies out there. And, and that's what's, you know, causing some of the, the disconnect that we're seeing. Agreed. So it would be remiss of us if we didn't talk a little bit about the war in the Ukraine. I know at the very beginning of the call, we talked about some of the stuff that y'all are doing to help out over there. But yeah, I would just love for y'all to share more about that because I just think it's really cool and admirable. So uh, share a little bit more about what y'all are doing there. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. I mean, to me, this is, you know, the definition of a purpose-driven company. And so uh, I was walking out, literally walking off stage from um, a presentation in Las Vegas uh, on the day that Russia invaded Ukraine. And uh, I've been working with a, um, a, a marketing company over there, a digital marketing firm, 
uh, in Lviv, Ukraine for uh, about two years. And I got a note from my account manager um, and, and it said, hey, don't worry, uh, we're going to keep working. Uh, we're not going to be able to communicate through normal channels. We're going to have to go to like text and stuff like that, but we're still working. And my initial reaction was like, oh my God, don't worry about us. You know, it's like, don't worry about the work, you know, we'll pay you, but you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll take up the work question later right now, just, you know, be safe and what can we do for you? Um, and I started uh, calling around uh, because, you know, our purpose at the Star Conspiracy is to create abundance. And we try to create uh, abundant employee experiences, customer experiences, and shareholder experiences. And we really focus on people in order to create abundance. That's what, you know, all abundance flows through people. And so if you have a purpose like that, and you've got a team of people that you work with, and something as terrible as their country being invaded happens, what I saw out in the market was a lot of people, a lot of companies, just a level set here, and I'm going to try to do the short version, but just a level set here. Ukraine does about $5 billion of outsourced tech services a year, and the United States is the biggest uh, customer of those services. And so Ukrainian companies have put a lot of money in the pockets of U.S. tech companies. And so we have a lot to be grateful for in terms of the people that we work with in Ukraine. But what most companies did when Russia invaded was put out a press release. And the first thing the press release said is that we're helping, you know, anybody who's in Ukraine get out. Like any of our employees in Ukraine, we're helping them get out. And that was like one sentence. And there'd be like four paragraphs on business continuity, which basically means how the hell can we move our business out of Ukraine as quickly as possible so that you customer don't have to worry that you're going to be impacted by this inconvenient war that's happening in Ukraine. And uh, there's actually one big mistake there, uh, which is, you know, taking a shareholder, you know, perspective on what's essentially a human issue. And that's the business continuity part. But the first mistake was actually saying that the primary thing they were doing was trying to get people out. Because when I talked to people at Respect Studio, which is our uh, partner that we work with in Lviv, nobody wanted to leave. <laughs> that's not what they were asking for. And so I asked them what they needed and how we could help. And they said, well, can you close our airspace? And well, I can't do anything about that. But the second thing they asked for was body armor. And they wanted body armor for their civilian defense battalions. They wanted body armor for their ambulance drivers, for the utility workers, uh, for the truck drivers, uh, you know, for because people are still working in parts of Ukraine. Uh, a lot of people are marching off the war uh, in the front and they don't have body armor. And uh, I thought, okay, well, let's figure out how to get them some body armor. And so I've spent the last uh, month along with, um, you know, a team of uh, people inside and outside the company trying to figure out how to ship body armor uh, to Ukraine. And uh, it's not as easy as I thought. Being in Texas, I thought you could go to the grocery store and buy some body armor and like FedEx it, uh, you know. Academy. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it turns out it's not like that. You have to get like licenses and stuff, <laughs> you know, you have to get all these stamps from all these embassies and, uh, you know, cause it's kind of like a, a big deal to ship, uh, you know, basically military equipment. Uh, and so that's what we've been focused on. We've raised $30,000 online. We've raised over $500,000 offline and donations of both body armor and uh, financial support to pay for logistics and shipping and stuff like that. It's very expensive to ship stuff to Lviv, especially if you fly it, because you put it on a boat, it takes weeks and or months to get there. And so, you know, for me that, you know, it's, it's important, not because like, Hey, look at us, we're actually sending, you know, body armor to Ukraine neat story. But for me, it's important because uh, if you're not living your purpose all the time, then it's not really a purpose at all. And that's where we see a lot of organizations. If you have a purpose to create abundance, and that means taking care of people, and then you don't take care of the people who have been taking care of you, then you're full of shit. And we're not full of shit. So when we said we we're going to get body armor to Ukraine, we did it. Uh, and uh, I'm, I hope to announce, I'm going to check my email real quick. Not yet. I hope to announce very soon a very major shipment that will exceed uh, all of our expectations and certainly what we committed to initially. But I'm proud of the work that we've done, but mostly I'm proud of uh, these people in Ukraine, man. I mean, they work all day at their day jobs, right? Because they have to keep making money to keep their companies uh, going so they can, you know, buy groceries and take care of their friends and their families and their company and their country. And then they work all night all night to try to get stuff for people who are fighting the war, uh, for people who have been injured, uh, medicine, you know, food, uh, all that stuff. And they are not giving up. There is no give up uh, in Ukraine. Uh, and it's just very inspiring to see. And, you know, one of the things I just want to be really careful about is, you know, it's all glory to Ukraine, right? It really is like they are, they are uh, manifesting this goodwill uh, towards their country. 
because of um, how they're living in this moment. Uh, and so while there's a bunch of people who are doing great things, you know, I'm not uh, doing anything on the Ashton Kutcher, uh, you know, uh, Mila Kunis scale, right? Uh, there's a bunch of people who are doing great things, but the hero of the story is really the people of Ukraine. Wow. I uh, lost track of what we were even going to ask about next. That's an incredible story. And it, you rarely see companies standing behind their purpose or their mission statement. And I don't think there's any better way for Star Conspiracy to do that. Um, great job. Yeah. I mean, kudos it, to you guys. Yeah. You. That's, Here's that's a amazing. picture of uh, uh, 10 folks mm -hmm. at Respect Studio and Lavev wearing the body armor um, that uh, the generous donations from mostly people in work tech. That's where in most the, of the money came from. Uh, in, bought wow. That body armor for those people. How many people will this provide body armor for? I'm just curious. Well, so um, based on what may be happening as, as soon as today, um, we're probably going to be providing body armor initially for about 500 people. Um, and then, you know, I hope that that's only the beginning. I have chills over here. That's, that's incredible. Um, so I know we only have one minute left. We usually have a set of rapid fire questions and a couple other closing questions. I'll skip right to our last two questions. So the first one, who should we bring on to the show next? Like who's somebody that you really respect and you think would just be amazing for our audience to, to hear. I, I think you should invite Donald Thompson from the diversity movement. He's got this fantastic startup in Raleigh, North Carolina, focused on DEI. He is a fantastic guy. Uh, he's been a client of the star conspiracy and we actually just signed a contract with him to do uh, a big engagement with our company. So we believe in him enough that we actually, you know, contract with this company and he is a fantastic human. So you ought to talk to him. Meaning we hired Perfect. him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We hired him. <laughs> Sounds good. And then the last question. So we end every episode with a one word or phrase close where we all respond with a word or phrase in the episode that we want to close with. And it can be anything. And I guess just uh, in the interest of time, I can get us started. Creating abundance through people. Beat me to the punch. Steven, you want to go next? Sure. I, I'm going to go, uh, it's kind of uh, non-refined, but I'm going to go with help, help for the Ukraine. I'll say live your purpose. I'm going to say Fal Furious. Let's go. Yes. Fal Texas. I need it. My dad's going to have to listen to this. He'll be very happy. <laughs> All right. Well, we, we promised that we would uh, close this at, uh, at the top of the hour. So uh, we thank you guys so much for joining thank us. You. This has been a blast. It just wasn't enough time, but uh, maybe you can, guys, you can join us again in the future sometime. Love Absolutely. To Thanks for having us. Thanks, Thanks guys. guys. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Thanks for, for tuning in to another episode of The Modern People Leader. We, we really, really appreciate it. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star rating. It would mean the world to us. And connect with us on LinkedIn. We wanna we wanna know what you think about the show. And uh, yeah, you can you can find links to both of our profiles in the show notes. So thanks again for listening, and and see you on the next episode.